And welcome to the David and Ronald Show podcast. How are you today, Ronald? I'm good, David. It's snowing again. It's snowing again. It's so rare to see another snowfall, even though it's not really going to be a snowstorm, it's just going to be snow showers, to yep. see snowfall, especially as we are now in the week of Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just flurries, it's actually snow coming down, so, you know, it, it's cool. Yeah, it adds to that feeling, and by the time this episode goes up, and it'll probably be after Christmas, it's still nice to have the week of Christmas to have that snowfall. I think we may still even have some of the snowfall that we had from the snowstorm on the ground because the temperatures may still be cold enough to retain a lot of that snow. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like the temps aren't going to be going up too much, so I think there's definitely going to be a lot, bunch of snow left, but I think a lot of it's going to be dirty snow, though, unfortunately, just because, you know, everyone's going to be walking or there going to be cars moving everything and all that. But well, it's still nice to see it come down, see some accumulation. So, like you said, hopefully leading up to Christmas, you know, maybe there'll be something else coming. Yeah, I mean, have you been out since the snowstorm? I was out yesterday to stop by the grocery store. And I have to say that I'm pretty impressed with how the streets and the sidewalks are down in my area. Because it looks like the snow was plowed well enough so that the sidewalks are very easy to walk through. There's not a lot of slush. I think part of it is the fact that because the temperatures have been colder, you don't have a lot of that melting snow. So you don't have those big puddles yet where you have slush ponds and it's hard to cross the street along the crosswalks. So it's fairly clean and easy to go from block to block. Yeah, I mean... For me, I can't say it's the same thing. I did go out early yesterday, just get a couple of things, and the crosswalks were still a bit packed with snow. And, you know, I saw people right. trying to hop over it or figure out how to get essentially across the street. But later in the day, I did see that it was cleaned up, and now the crosswalk is easy to to be able to cross the street, essentially, around the area. So I think it just took some time before they were able to get to my area and clean that up. But that did deter me a bit from originally my plan was to go to the supermarket, which, you know, I had to go a few blocks down. And I was like, do I really want to do this? Risk potentially slipping right. or something like that. So I just ended up just buying a couple of things that were closer to me and, you know, just called it a day. I was like, I'll just do it next week or something like that when it's melted a little bit or when it's cleaned up. But now that's cleaned up, it'll make it much easier for me to just walk around. Yeah, I mean, my trip was primarily local, so within my area, at most, 15, 20 minutes to walk. Because if I were to go the other direction, I think there were a lot of areas that aren't as well plowed. Right. And so in those cases, it would not have been as good. I also think that it reflects that there wasn't as much snowfall as initially thought. Because I think if we had more than a foot of snow, and usually like a couple feet of snow... Then you would see like the roads, a lot more snow, a lot more difficult to navigate through. Right. But when I looked out to the streets, the streets were practically blacktop and there wasn't a lot of slush, which means a lot of that snow was, was cleared out. Some of it may have melted, but I think a lot of it was there wasn't as much snow, at least down in the area that I'm in, as initially thought. And it's probably, I would say, maybe around the six or seven inch mark is as much snow that we got, which is still nice, but probably not as big as we've seen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. What's nice around me still is that the rooftops are still filled with snow. So it is nice. You know, I live on an upper level, so I'm able to look down, essentially. So it is nice right. to... Just see the snow-covered rooftops and just enjoy the view a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely nice to have that snowfall, the clean white snowfall. If I look out the window right now there, and you look at the streets, there's a lot of that kind of brown slush. Yeah. So it's that's not so pretty to look at, yep. but at least the white snowfall, what's left of it, is nice to be able to see, again, because we're heading into this Christmas week. So I had this weird dream the other night. They say that you often won't remember your dreams, and I didn't remember this dream immediately the following morning somehow like during the day yesterday it came to me again and i was like okay i think i want to bring this up in the podcast so i had this weird dream that we took down christmas decorations on new year's day and i never take down christmas decorations on new year's day because i usually keep it up for maybe a week maybe two weeks into the new year before i start taking it down so it was like the oddest dream to have and i was like trying to figure out well, what does that mean? And I haven't come to an answer yet because it doesn't make sense to me because I wouldn't take it down on New Year's Day for any reason. I guess the question then as we head into Christmas and approach New Year's is when do you take down Christmas decorations? 
I mean, my philosophy has been, I don't take it down until at least Rockefeller Center takes their tree down. And sometimes I'll keep it up a little bit longer past that. So what do you normally do? So I'd probably say the following full weekend of New Year's is generally when I'll do it. But I could get a bit lazy sometimes, so I may start just taking things down little by little. So I won't necessarily dedicate a day to actually taking everything down. I may dedicate a few days in terms of taking things down. So, you know, I'll take down the easier items first, and then I'll start doing the more difficult ones. And then the tree is going to be the last one, because the tree is the hardest one, just because I have to close it all back up, right? take everything off of it, dig out the big box that it came in, put that back, and then get it back into the closet. So that's essentially the one thing that might just sit there bare for like another week, just taking up space because I'm just too lazy to dedicate one day specifically to take that all down. Right. Yeah, I usually, I think I'll get everything else off, but the trees take a while because you have to get the ornaments, the tinsel, the lights, all that, and then you have to compress the tree back right, so, so that you can compact it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have to put the tree back in a box. Right. I mean, even the tree that you got me, that fiber optic tree, I'm not going to try to find a way to squeeze it back in that box because it took a lot of effort to, open it to up, right? turn it from a compressed tree into yep. a good looking tree. Yep. I'm not going to try to squeeze everything back in because you also run the risk of maybe you damage the fiber optics. And so exactly. when I pull it out, out of the box next year to light it up, that it doesn't work. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a really thin box, so it would be really yeah. difficult. And when I first opened it, I, I looked at it. I said, wow, this was kind of bare. Then I started opening it up. And as you start opening it up more and more and more, because you're also careful too, you don't know how much you should open it. Then you get more comfortable as you do it. And then once you open it up, you're like, oh, okay, this looks pretty cool. And it usually benefits by turning on the lights right. so that you could see how it looks like. And then from there, you can figure out what else you need to do with the tree. And then once yeah. you get it going, you're you're all set. But definitely, like you, I'm not going to close that tree back up. I'll probably just put it in a bag and put it on the shelf in the closet. Right. And even when you talk about like decorating the tree, for example, I do it from a 360 angle. So I'll get the lights on. That's the first thing I'll get on the tree is I'll put the lights on first and I'll put the tinsel on. Because once you get the ornaments on, you can't really get your your lights around it. Yep. Uh, let me just see. Let me let me let me go back. So I put the lights on first. Definitely have to have the lights on first. I'll put the tinsel on second, and yeah, and then I'll put the ornaments on. So that is the proper order for me. I put the ornaments on second. I put the lights on, then the ornaments. The tinsel goes on last, just because you could just lightly, you know, get it around the tree. It's funny like it's, when you think back on how you do it, you can't remember. Yeah. You don't think that there's a science to it, but there really is. Yeah, there was one year, stupidly, I thought I would take off the tinsel, then the lights, then the ornaments. I don't nah, know why I thought yeah. to do that, and I knocked over a bunch of ornaments Yeah. as I was taking off the lights, at least, and it cracked one because I have, like, these glass-type the glass ornaments. ornaments. Yeah. So it just dropped. I said, oh, no. But from then on, I remember it. But I, I think I was just being lazy that weekend. And I was just like pulling everything off. I was already tired. It was the last thing I was working on. And that's what happened. I used to get those five-pack glass ornaments from yep. Macy's that were like really decorative. And I used to hang them up. But the problem was they would always get knocked over accidentally. And then they're supposed to be shatter-resistant to a certain degree. Right. But the height was a little bit higher than where a tree would be. Yeah. And so they would shatter, still- and then I'd, I'd have to get a replacement and keep putting them up. I also had, at Macy's, I bought these. They're not really glass stars. They're plastic stars, and they look really nice. They're really shiny. But again, if they fall at the right angle, the tip would break. Right. So they'd break, and I'd always have to have some extra ones in the event that happened. The ones I have up this year, I think, are better because if they do fall, it's less likely they'll break, but they could still break as well. But going back to the tree, yeah, I usually do the 360 where I'll decorate one side of the tree then turn it or rotate it decorate the next side rotate it decorate the next side so that no matter what angle you look at it the tree is fully covered right at a 360 degree angle even though most of the time you can only see the tree from one side and there is like a good side to the tree yeah and that's the side that the tree always has to face out yep so you always have to have the tree facing that direction because that's the best side of the tree you would think that the tree would have more options in terms of as you rotate it, but there's always like just one side that looks really good, and that's the side that is forward-facing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the side you just focus on a bit more, even if you're not consciously doing it. But I think it would be different if you had bought one of those uh, pods where you can turn 360. 
then I'm sure yeah. it'd be a lot different where you'd focus on it truly 360 because you oh, know yeah. that, well, people are going to see it as it turns. People are going to see it. Oh, yeah. If you put it on something that rotates, you have to make sure that the tree looks nice all the way around. It's easier with artificial trees because usually they're consistent. When you get fresh trees, you take something like Rockefeller Center when that tree arrived. It's kind of hard because branches may break, leaves may fall off, the tree will start to dry up, and it's hard to keep it as perfect as you want it to be. But an artificial tree, most of the time designed so that no matter which way you turn it, what direction it's facing, it looks good. But what I started doing a few years ago was I would put a red velvet bow on the tree so that I would always know, once I have it up, that that's the position that it should be facing. Because sometimes, like, your tree topper, especially if you don't put, like, a star on the tree. Like, you know, on the 18-inch tree, I just have that kind of ornament. And so no matter which position you look at it, that ornament, that tree topper doesn't tell you what the forward-facing position. So I would put a red velvet bow on it so I always know that if the tree got bumped, that I always know what the forward-facing position is and just kind of reposition that tree to face that way. Right. It's just kind of like an aesthetics thing so that you always know how things should look. That sounds good. Anyway, on the topic of Christmas, since we've already talked about Christmas trees, yes, there's the gingerbread cookies that, gingerbread that we've been talking cookies. about, right? Yes, we've so. been talking about gingerbread cookies. Let me just pull over here. Hang on a sec. So I have in front of me a few gingerbread cookies. I have... The snowman, this mitten that I'm holding up to the camera so Ronald can see. And then I have the gingerbread cookie that you made, which is this one up in the camera. Why don't you tell me the recipe that you used for making the gingerbread cookie? And then what I'm going to do in a little bit is I'm going to do a taste test and compare it to these other gingerbread cookies that I have in front of me. Right. So essentially I got this off an online website, essentially called sallysbakingaddiction.com. Okay. And... On this site, it says my favorite gingerbread cookies. So essentially, I followed the recipe on the site to create the cookie that you have in front of you. And just briefly, they state we use molasses and spices for flavor. Mm -hmm. There's egg, so the gingerbread cookies have the structure and richness. And then we use brown sugar. In my case, I use dark brown sugar. That's why the gingerbread cookie is darker versus if I use the lighter one, it would be uh, light brown, right? Similar right. to the, ones, the other ones that you have there. So essentially, took all that stuff and put it together. Let the dough chill, and apparently that's the most important step here. You have to let it chill for at least three hours to overnight. That right. way, it could just keep its form. Then you have to roll out the dough. And, you know, initially, I made them too thin, but the ones you have are a bit thicker, just to the consistency that I wanted it, so that this should essentially give you a good crunch on the outside, but inside should still be soft. And that's essentially that gingerbread man cookie that you have in front of you now. Okay. And the other thing that you were telling me is that was it the roller that you got? Yep. Has the little imprints in them? So yes. that on your gingerbread cookies, you have like little snowflake imprints and... Reindeer. Reindeer and um, other things on it. Yeah, so, so it, it was something from Amazon that I bought. Yeah, so I had to buy the cookie cutters, right? So essentially I can make right. the gingerbread man or gingerbread men. So that came with a rolling pin that essentially had the designs pre-made in it. So I made some that were just blank. You know, just regular rolling pin. And then I made some with that design just to add some festiveness to it. Right. So that's why you have one of each, essentially. One that's just plain and one that has the design. There shouldn't be a taste difference right. there, but you'll just get that extra, I guess, a different crunch on those just because it has the outlines on there. Right. And so the other gingerbread cookies I have are sister made. Yep. And the difference in terms of the recipe is they don't have molasses. They have the original batch that was made had maple syrup and the other batch had honey in it. And they still use dark brown sugar, eggs, etc. And so the color, because there's no molasses, the color of these look more like regular cookies, like butter cookies. Right. Whereas yours looks like a, uh, a chocolate cookie. Yep. So I've already had the one our sister made, and I have them in front of me, just in case I wanted to do an extra taste. But I'm going to try the one that you made. I am going to do this close to the mic, and that way you can hear the crunch. There was no crunch because it's a really soft cookie. It's a little crunch. It's not going to have that crackle crunch because that wasn't what I was going for, essentially. I personally like soft cookies versus like a hard cookie that has like a huge crunch. Yeah, your cookie is softer. The other ones are a little bit harder. I'm going to go and try one of the ones our sister made. Right, so this has that snap. Mm-hmm. But in terms of flavor profiles now, what do you taste in terms of mine versus the other batch? I definitely taste the molasses because it has that kind of, I don't want to say syrupy, but like a richer 
yep. taste to it. And it's definitely more moist in your cookie. I was reading that with gingerbread cookies, if you want them to be softer, you have to actually slightly under bake them. If they tell you like bake them 12 minutes, don't bake them 12 minutes. Bake yeah, them so, under that time. Yeah, on this same website, it does give you some baking tips. So they say if it's smaller than four inches, only cook it for eight minutes which is what right. I did because these are slightly smaller than the four inches. So I only baked it for the eight minutes and then I took it out and just put it on a separate plate. So it doesn't continue to cook on the platter, right. which is hot. Right. But because I had made some thinner ones and those had more of a crunch similar to like the other batch you had. I didn't like that as much. I wanted that softer element there. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because once you take it out of the oven, they're still going to keep cooking for a while right? until they cool down. And as they cool down, they become a little bit harder. That's why we want to take it out a little bit before it's done so that you don't get it to the point where it's overcooked. It's kind of like boiled eggs. When you want boiled eggs, if you don't want it to be runny, but you also don't want to be too firm, you have to stop boiling them early because when you take them out of the pot, they will keep cooking. Right. Unless you like immediately put them into like an ice bath and exactly. cool them. Yep. Pretty good. It's a pretty good cookie. Cool. So thank you. Thank you yeah. for sending some over. No problem. And it's funny, we were talking about this yesterday. I said, yeah, wh why don't we hold on to your taste test until we did the podcast? That way we would have this live version of your taste test. And there may be some other things to come where we'll both buy something we've never had before. This is what I had said yesterday, right? We'll both get something we've never had before and taste test it. Yeah. Now, that could sound like an extreme fail. <laughs> it just ends up being really, really bad. Especially, yeah, especially if it's really bad. not able to speak. <laughs> right. Well, in preparing for this taste test, because I know that with cookies in general, sometimes the cookies are dry. Yep. And because we're recording and I'm talking, I had to prep some drinks to make sure that in the event my mouth or throat gets dry, that I had a drink to run to. And I didn't have to like pause the recording and run out to the kitchen to get something to drink. Right. So I have drinks in front of me as a backup as well as a wet towel so that after touching the cookies, I don't have crumbs everywhere and I don't have dirty hands touching the laptop and computer screen. But when I go and edit this episode, I have to listen back to the crunching part right? because I don't want it to sound weird on the audio. When you bite into something, when you eat something, when you swallow, those sounds are not appealing on an audio recording, let alone on a video recording, but right. more so on an audio recording because if it's taken out of context, it just sounds weird. Absolutely. There are a lot of people now who do like YouTube videos with the ASMR. And it's like, I don't personally like ASMR, but some people do. Right. That's funny. So let's stay on Christmas for a little bit. Are there any specific things that you will miss not gathering in person this year? I mean, I think overall it's being able to, to meet each other in person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, food's obviously a big thing where we all eat and we can just converse over that. I think that's one big piece that you lose out in the virtual bit. Sure, yes, you're seeing each other, but you know, you're know you obviously eating different foods unless you coordinate and just tell everyone, hey, make the same food. Right. But still, that's not the same, right? But I, I think it's overall that person, that real person interaction that you lose out of that. We also do miss out on unwrapping gifts cause since we usually dedicate a bit of time to that. Though that does yeah, get tiring over the years. I have a note about that. We'll circle back on unwrapping gifts in a little bit because there's a yeah. story to that too. Right, yeah. But that gets tiring in itself where you know we do dedicate a good number of hours to do it because we have to pass it on to one another. There's four of us and then we do this and do that. So that does get a bit tiring and usually, I think usually halfway point I'm like ready to sleep. <laughs> yeah, say, it's like right, let's accelerate. Exactly. It's like let's accelerate the unwrapping because yeah. we would go through that process and I guess we'll touch on it now where yeah. I'll give you a gift first. Then we're all watching you unwrap it. Then you give it to one of our sisters. She unwraps it. Then she gives it to me. I unwrap it. Then I give it to our other sister. She unwraps it. And the cycle continues until you have every single gift unwrapped. But, but to be fair, over the years, we did try different methods for this, right? We did say, I think there was one or two years where we, we just put everyone's gifts there and everyone just opens it up at your own pace and whatever. But then you yeah, kind of miss of it because order. you're not watching everyone do it. Right. And we have a, and I don't know if anyone else does this, right? We have this thing where we start off small and it goes to the big gift, right? It goes right. the little accessory gift. Then you sort of get like your main event gift that you give everyone and that ends up being the final gift that you have. And we kind of call Uno. It's like, oh, one gift left. Right. You know, just so everyone knows, we don't just give one or two gifts. We generally have a pile of gifts per person. 
And that's right. why when I said it takes us a couple hours, it really does just because, like you said, we pass it on to one another and that's how it goes on and on and on until we hit that uno and we say, okay, one gift left. And usually that means that's going to be the biggest gift at the end of the day. Biggest, I don't want to say necessarily the most expensive, but that's our main event gift that we're waiting to give that person. Right. And sometimes the gifts are pieces of one gift. So right. everything is like individually wrapped. Yep. And I've done it in some years where I'll take a bunch of gifts, wrap them, especially if they're like small gifts, I'll wrap each gift individually. Then I'll put it in a box. Then I'll wrap the box so that when you unwrap the box, you have a bundle of joy inside that box to unwrap. And that itself takes time to do. But yeah, when you just pile it up, sometimes what it is is, yes, you don't get to see what everyone's unwrapping. The other thing is sometimes there's a sequence a specific right. order that you have to unwrap gifts in because they're connected. And if you unwrap one item in the sequence out of order, it won't make sense anymore because it's a buildup. The caveat is it's not like you don't necessarily know what it is because the other thing we do is we do a gift list exchange, usually the day after Thanksgiving. Everyone gets a list of your kind of Christmas wish list because for years we said, don't just go out there and buy things that you don't need because often you get things that you don't need and it's like, what am I going to do with this? You're wasting your money. So it would be put things that you need and then you take it off that list. And every so often, sometimes the lists aren't great because you really don't need anything and you just kind of come up with some inventive things to throw in there, things that someone may need, but they just didn't think about. So we are very careful in terms of what we give. It's not like I want to get you some extravagant gift that you don't need and it's a waste of money. It's usually going to be something that you actually do need. And there are always things that you want, but you might not necessarily get yourself. But if someone got it for you, you'd appreciate it. So that's kind of the way we work on the gifting side. But yeah, the unwrapping part sometimes takes forever because there are so many of these little tiny gifts. And then you have gifts within gifts to open. And that takes a while. I do like the years where sometimes you just hand out gifts to the other people and it's the same gift. So everyone has to open at the same time right? because that's kind of good. Like a gift card, for example, if you give everyone, let's say like an Amazon gift card, then everyone can just open it simultaneously because it's easy enough to do it that way. I do miss when Amazon used to give you the bear as part of buying a gift card. With the gift cards, yeah. Yeah, that was cool because then you could get creative on it. But then everyone else knows that that comes with it anyway because they would have probably bought the same thing. So they would know. But So you get creative sometimes with the gift wrapping. And I yeah. guess that's one fun part too when you're wrapping the gifts. Thinking, how could I throw somebody off because they're going to know what this is anyway. Right. So why not make it a little bit challenging for that person? Yeah, we've done that before where, especially with gifts that if you wrap it without a box, it would yep. be too easy to identify what it is because of the shape. Exactly. So what you end up doing is you just wrap it in a way that you don't expect it. And it's not necessarily throwing a box because sometimes you can't throw things in a box. So what you can do is just kind of mold it into something different or package it together with other gifts so that you can't figure out what it is. Yep. And it's fun to do that. Right. You know? And then often you say, well, what what did I put on my list? I don't remember what I put on my list that's this size and this shape. And so, oh, yep. because it's three different items that have been combined together so exactly. that it now form, looks like it's a different give, item. Give it right. another form. You know, one thing I do is once I've written out that list, I don't look at it again. That way right. I'll forget essentially what I put on there. Though subconsciously I'll know because I don't want to buy something that I end up putting on the gift list, but... A lot of times, yeah, I just don't look back on it. That way, there's more of a surprise of, oh, right, I put this on the list. And, you know, then you get it and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Right. And also, like, when I wrap gifts, I have to label them with a number so yeah. that I can go back to see what that gift was that I wrapped. Because if it is part of a sequence, I have to make sure that the order is correct. Otherwise, the buildup doesn't work anymore. So that's the other side of figuring that out. Let's talk about Secret Santa, because I'm sure we've all done Secret Santa at some point. I haven't really done Secret Santa in many years even for work it's been years since doing it but what are your thoughts in terms of secret santa do you think it's good do you think it's bad do you think it's overrated it's a mix of both right i mean i think the concept's cool but the idea try to find out what to get someone again you want to get something useful right, right. and Call it boring, but I think a gift card is always useful. You just need to know what is it that that person buys a lot from, right? right. You don't want to get someone a Starbucks gift card when they go to Dunkin' Donuts all the time, right? So that doesn't quite work out as well. But I think because it does add that creativity, with Secret Santa, generally there's a price point, right, that you shouldn't spend over. Right. So I think in a sense it's fun. I haven't done it for a good number of years as well. But, you know, something like that is good. I think more for... I guess if you're coworkers, that's a fun thing to do. 
because you should know them to a certain level on what right. they do in their daily lives. Do I do that with my friends? Not really. I may have done it once 10 plus years ago, but we don't really do that. We just generally get together, have a nice dinner, and just catch up like that. We don't really do the, the secret Santa bit just because we'd rather put the money toward a nicer meal. Right. Yeah, I don't really do any sort of Secret Santa with friends. I think I've only done Secret Santa once, and that was like a work thing. And like the limit, I think, was $20. I ended up getting one back then when people still use portable radios and stuff before the days of using your phone to do all this. Right. I got one of those inexpensive portable digital radios right, with yep. headphones, and I got that as a Secret Santa gift for someone. I forgot what I ended up receiving for Secret Santa. Right. But... Useful. I think I've only done it. It's really for me. It's I don't. I'm not too fond of doing like the Secret Santa thing. So that's kind of my take. In terms of gift cards, for example, do you think gift cards are a really good thing? Because people have different views on gift cards. Some people think gift cards are like a terrible gift because there's no personalizing it. It doesn't feel like you took any effort in thinking about that. And then others think that it's a great idea. I mean, I think that for the most part, if you're getting them a gift card from some place that they do a lot of shopping at, like an Amazon gift card or an Apple gift card, then that could be a good thing. Because if you're an avid Apple products fan or an Amazon shopper, then that's a good gift for them because it's almost like giving them money. It's here you go. You always shop at Amazon or at the Apple store. You can buy whatever you want. I'm not going to buy you something in particular. You can use that and buy whatever you want when you need to. Yeah, I mean... I don't think it's completely thoughtless, right? Like, again, you're going to buy a gift card for a place that they often buy from, right? And also, if there are limitations on the price point, a lot of times you're not going to be able to buy something that's really useful for that person. Right. So you might as well get the gift card because that could contribute to paying for that useful thing the person might want to get. So I feel that there is a certain level of thought there. If I'm giving someone a 20 or, you know, maybe $50 gift card these days, I think $20 is long gone. Maybe like 20 years ago, that was a thing. But I think $50 gift card is probably something more to today, given everything's more expensive. Right. $50 gift card, you know, for Amazon, that goes a long way. You can buy yeah, a lot of things that are useful on there. And I think that to call it thoughtless, yeah, no, I think there's thought there because you just have to know that person. Was there ever a gift card that you received that you felt like you really couldn't use? Like years ago, I got a J. Crew gift card, and the right. problem was I don't get stuff from J. Crew, so I had to use that gift card. And while I appreciate the gift card, I went to J. Crew, and I'm like walking around trying to find something, and there was like <laughs> nothing that I wanted. I ended up belt. spending it, I think, on a sweater or something that I really wasn't fond of. But I wasn't fond of the clothing that they had. So it was like really hard to find something that I wanted from there. Yeah, I mean, I think what a doubt you get an accessory like socks, a belt or hat if you wear those or a scarf. That might be easy. I think I had something similar. I don't recall which clothing store it was, but I received one and I didn't shop there either. But when you walk into the store, everything was a lot more expensive than, I think it was, I got a $20 gift card, but everything was around, I think, 60 to $100. So I said, well, what do I really want from there? And similar to you, I didn't really want anything, but I ended up just buying a bunch of accessories because that's easy. Socks, I mean, even the socks were expensive, right? So at least that's one way to be able to use it up. Again, yeah, I appreciated it, but I think that's where that thought needs to come in of, well, where does this person shop? What does this person always talk about? Or what do they wear? You know, you should be able to tell. I think people do talk a fair amount of wearing certain clothes. They'll talk about it. Yeah, I think there used to be this fondness of gift cards and clothing stores. That that's right. where you would get gift cards from. And I don't remember if the reasoning was that's where you found most of your gift cards back then. Maybe that was the reasoning before you had like gift cards from music stores and things like that. Like Home Depot. Home Depot is very popular. Lowe's because people have to make improvements to their home or hey, do things if, in their if home. I know it's expensive. Just, have just bought a home. I will buy them a Home Depot card. Yeah, I'm sure that's gonna go a long way because you cannot tell me you've bought a new place or you know you moved into a new place and it needs nothing to be fixed or that you want to make changes to. Right, because. Because the only way that would be the case is if you just had it built yourself. That yep. would be the only way. Because you would have already spent a ton of money on everything that you wanted. and. But even then, you're still not happy. There's always going to be something more that you can improve on. Because that's just the nature of it. Yep. There's always a way to make it better. It's just that you're limited financially as to what the changes would be. And even if you weren't limited financially, you'd probably be making changes based on whatever your requirements were. But, I mean, 
nowadays, like if you were to get a gift card, like what would be some of the places that you would want to get a gift card that you could use the gift card to your benefit? Definitely my number one is Amazon. I mean, I am an Amazon freak. I just buy things from there. You know, I do have Prime membership, so that's also why I buy a lot of things from there. But it would be really Amazon, an Apple gift card, slash iTunes, just because they separate it. I always hated the fact that they separate that. that I think I can't that just they're phasing that out, though. I think they're Are finally they? phasing that out. I think it's going to just be one Apple gift card because that was a complaint. Right. Because it was annoying. If you accidentally bought someone a $100 Apple Store gift card, yeah. but you meant to get them one for iTunes, they couldn't use it. They couldn't do anything with it unless they needed to buy something from the Apple Store. Yeah, so that has been a big thing. And I also have bought the wrong one for someone. Before. I think it was for you one year. I bought the wrong one for you. I was like, oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I think you meant to give me like an that. iTunes and you gave me like an Apple Store. But yeah. nowadays, if you're going to get a new phone or an iPad or accessories, then you can use it exactly. for that. Right, it contributes to that. But I'd and say the good those thing are my is they also two. don't these don't expire, which is good, and they don't charge a fee because when you right. get things like those Visa gift cards or some of the other ones, yeah, sometimes they start taking out a percentage. I think they've gotten rid of that now. I remember long for ago, a lot of them one. they have, but there are still some where like after the first year, then yeah. they start deducting like the administrative right. fee. And so if you I don't use it that first card. year, by the end of the second year, the card's practically worthless, depending exactly. on how much money's on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Amazon, Apple are probably places that I would shop. B&H, I think, would be good because I get, like, camera accessories and other electronics now. We used right. to have J&R Music and Computer World, but they went out of business some years ago. But that would be a place that we would often on the weekends go to. And they had so many stores because you have the music store where they had CDs and then they had videos. And then you had the electronics and you had the computer store. And we would literally spend a couple hours going through each of the stores. Since they've gone out of business years ago, I primarily would get electronics now from like B&H because you can get cameras and whatnot. If I have to get like computers, for example, I would go straight to the manufacturer. I find that easier because a lot of times I'll custom configure anyway. Yep, I would do exactly the same thing. I think also a Staples gift Staples, card would be cool. Yeah, Staples gift yeah, card. I, I do buy a lot of things from there too. So Yeah, they have office supplies fun. and a lot of other things that you can possibly get. They've expanded, yeah. I mean, they've expanded to what they sell. It's not just office supplies anymore. It does open up so you can buy other things. So I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think those would be like my main ones. Amazon, Apple, Staples, and probably B&H. And cool. as you can see, it does not include clothing stores at all. No, it does not. What about food? Like, food place gift cards i don't know i don't think i will want anything i know like a lot of people will want whole foods just because they go there but right. i don't really go to whole foods a lot so i what wouldn't about like, say well target's not really food they're kind of like a an everything type store right i mean again i shop target here and there but i don't go to it often enough to want one i mean if i got a gift card i would probably use it for that sure but i don't go to it often enough to really want it want it right all right, so let's talk about re-gifting. Have you ever received a gift that you've re-gifted to someone else? And at least for me, I don't recall ever doing that. I may have, but I can't recall a specific time where I re-gifted something. I don't believe I ever did that. Yeah, I mean, there's always different thoughts on whether re-gifting is a good or a bad thing. The truth is, if you get something that you can't use, but someone else can, then I don't think there's anything wrong with re-gifting something that you got. It's different if it's like a personalized gift. If it's a right. personalized gift, then don't re-gift that. But if it's not a personalized gift, then I think it's something that's fine if someone else can benefit from it. Right. I mean, I guess if someone gave me an alarm clock and I already had one, I'd probably re-gift that. Right. Or like a lamp that I can't use because it doesn't match the rest of the decor. Right. Then I would definitely re-gift that. But yeah, I'd be interesting why someone would give one. you like a lamp. <laughs> I mean, unless unless it was like, like a, a housewarming lamp, gift. like a little little lamp or something, like a lava lamp. Yeah, like something like that, where you just think this is not going to fit the tone of what I have in my apartment already. Then right. maybe I would regift that. Yeah, I guess when we, when you initially said lamp, I was like thinking like a regular lamp, like a room <laughs> like, lamp. Like, why would someone lamp? give you a room lamp unless it's a housewarming gift? Like talk about thoughtless gifts, right? <laughs> right. But no, well, I you know a lot something of people, like fancy, like something you find at like Spencer's or something like you said, like a lava lamp or, yeah. you know, one of those, those type of fancy ones, not just right. like a plain table lamp. Yeah, because you think of a lot of housewarming gifts, what people would get people or, yeah. you know, like wedding gifts, people get people like toasters and microwave right. ovens and things like that. Right. If you get four toaster ovens, what are you going to do with it? You know, you yeah, can only you don't use need so many. What, keep it as a backup, maybe like maybe. Or, or unless you're going to convert your spare. home into a, an inn. Right. 
exactly. Or you know, or maybe I want to cook four pizzas at one time. I don't know. Right. But I I wouldn't want that. No, it'd be you know like in it's not Charlie Brown christmas it's the thanksgiving when they're preparing the thanksgiving meal and they have all the like, right. toaster ovens yeah. to make the toast and that, that's right. where you need a bunch of toasters to make a lot of toast yeah i'm not sure from the electrical perspective if you can actually have that many open at the same time running generally can't because they would all have to be on a different right because those breaker. are high powered appliances right so you a toaster microwave things like that would all have to be on a separate 15 amp breaker or you yeah. run the risk of tripping that breaker right. or worse you and blow the breaker but yeah, it shouldn't it, exactly exactly all right so let's see what else do we want to cover because i think we've oh here's something that was interesting that recently happened this time of year people do a lot of ordering because they're getting gifts delivered and if you live in a building where you don't have a doorman you don't have a lobby attendant you don't have a safe place to leave packages you're always fighting with the delivery couriers for example and sometimes you'll get the notices exception we couldn't deliver your package because we need a signature and so we'll re-deliver sometimes you get no notices whatsoever i've had it where you know i'm home all day and i might be waiting for a package and they'll say oh yeah there was no one home so we couldn't deliver and you know that's not true what's the most frustrating experience that you've had with a delivery uh let me think about this one i don't think i've had anything specific you know i do live in a doorman building currently previously i didn't have one but there was a buzzer so they would buzz right. you i think i have had once or twice where i think they just do a drive-by and they claim that they did buzz and whatever right and you're home all day and you're like no the buzzer never went off did you actually do anything with it and sometimes what they used to do was they would just buzz random apartments and then just leave your package inside the building right because so they're hoping someone would open the door for them. but i'm home why did you buzz that one first and they end up buzzing all the other ones and i think that's probably the worst i've seen before right but i haven't had any ones and i know where this is leading to you have a story for this uh, i don't think it's anywhere near what you're about to tell no, I've had a few experiences where, yeah, I would be waiting down the lobby because when you live in older buildings where you don't have a doorman and you have to get the package because you don't want them to leave in, in the lobby, you have to just wait there all day for the delivery. And as much as you would hope they call and you put like a phone number on your package, they're not required to call. That's the thing. When you use any couriers. Now, I have to give credit to Amazon. They're shipping a lot of the stuff now using their own courier using Amazon's own courier, and they do call. And they let you know that, hey, I'm downstairs, I have your package, can you come down? And they'll do that. So that's a positive thing that I've seen recently. And sometimes you can track how many stops away they are, but that's not the most accurate because it'll say, like, I'm one stop away, but right. it might be like an hour before they get to you because that one stop is more than one person. But I will give credit to Amazon in that that has worked a little better because they do call. When you deal with a lot of other couriers, they don't call, and either sometimes they'll leave a notice. Like, I've had it with the post office where sometimes they say a notice was left because there was no secure location to put the package, and then there's no notice. Sometimes the notice will come the next day with the local courier that delivers your mail. I've had the same thing with UPS and FedEx where sometimes they'll say, yeah, we tried to deliver, but you weren't home. And I've spoken to them before saying, I was waiting in the lobby for the package. I saw no truck. I saw a truck that drove by, but I didn't see someone who actually stopped the truck, stepped out to come to the building and try to deliver the package. It's gotten a lot better over the last few years, but it's still, again, it's random depending on where you are. I mean, yesterday, and this kind of leads into the story, I had two packages where I had to go and get. In both cases, I got an alert and what I do now is I set up the text messaging so that I get a text as soon as they make a delivery attempt. Now that only works if the notification comes within minutes of them making the delivery attempt. Sometimes there's a delay and I'll get it like 30 minutes later, it's no good. But if it's within minutes and I'm ready to go, I can race down and see if I can see the truck. So I was fortunate in both cases yesterday where I was able to find the truck and I could like run down the block and try to get the package. So that was fine. 
But it's also annoying sometimes to have to do that because you spend an entire day waiting for deliveries. And I've tried the UPS My Choice premium option. It used to be $40 a year, and I think it's cheaper now. I think it's like 20 or or 10 or something like that. But you could set a two-hour window. Now, the two-hour window doesn't guarantee that you will definitely get it. So if you set it up for the two-hour window and you get, I think, like two free two-hour windows a year, it doesn't guarantee that you'll get it within the two-hour window. If you don't get it within the two-hour window, then they give you back that two-hour window selection. If you do get it within the two-hour window, then you don't get it back and you use it up. And then you can like pay for extra ones if you need them. When I was paying the $40 a year, sometimes it helped and sometimes it didn't. Like wasting two hours to wait for a package is not great either because two hours is a very long time to kill if you're waiting for a package because there's so much other stuff that you could have done in that two hours. The thing is that you set that window like I want the package to arrive between 11 and 1. So now that 11 to 1 period, you're locked into waiting for the package. And then because it's not guaranteed to arrive there, even if I get that two-hour window back to use for something else, I still wasted my two hours there and I still don't know when the package is arriving. Because if you arrive not in the two-hour window, but in the four-hour window or six-hour window, well, not only did I not get in the two hours, but I lost my entire day waiting for the package. And with like smaller things might not be a big issue, but if you have expensive things, like let's say you bought a laptop or you buy like Apple stuff, you don't want them to one, just leave it there in your lobby because if someone steals it, you're not getting it back and then you have to file a claim and go through that whole process. But then if you are waiting for something because it's urgent, like if it's a gift this time of year, and I know that what UPS has said in the past, because I used to talk to someone at the local office when I had problems getting deliveries, they would say during the holidays, it's very busy. So a lot of times if the drivers know that they don't have access to your building because there's no buzzer and there's no lobby attendant or doorman or security, then they will automatically just skip that building. It's always challenging, especially when you live in the city where there are still a lot of buildings where you don't have lobby attendants, you don't have doormans, you don't have security, and so you can't just have packages accepted there. And that's why a lot of people would send it to their offices. It's not so easy to do it this year because of COVID because most people aren't in their offices, so they can't receive packages anyway. So that becomes a challenge this season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know um, in my office building, a lot of people would do that versus I know some friends who work at a company and they don't allow that, right? They'll explicitly say, no personal packages right because they don't want to have to deal with that you know having their building people do it and then it coming up to reception and now they have to hold it for you and all that they also don't want the liability if something gets lost or stolen yeah i mean a lot of companies they do have policies that say your personal gear is your personal gear and the company's not liable for it but they still don't want to have to deal with it there are also buildings like i used to work in a building where if you took packages out of the building, you need a property pass signed by an authorized person in the tenancy so that it says that you have permission to remove this package. And that's the only way they could track to make sure that someone didn't take company property and walk out the door with it. Right, absolutely. But it varies by building. Some buildings don't do that. And nowadays, someone can just unpack something and stick it in a bag. Put it in your book bag, yeah. Yeah, because... Because that's not checked, right? They can't check that unless they have reason to have to do that. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to try to take the box as it is... Like, I mean, let's say you bought something big. You're going to keep it in that box. Exactly. Especially if it's a gift. If it's a gift, you're not going to unpack it. Exactly. It's kind of sometimes when you go to, like, an Apple store, when you buy an iPad or a phone, and they say, oh, do you want us to help you set up? They don't do it so much now because you have to do the appointments. Right. But back in the early days, it's like, would you like help setting it up? Say, like, no, it's a gift, so you don't want to have it unwrapped. Right, you're giving exactly. it to someone. Yep, absolutely. But even if, like, you're getting something for parents, you don't want to have it unwrapped until after they open up the gift. That's like you open up the right. packages. Where, where's the shrink wrap to the packaging? It's like, is this a used one? No, it's yeah. a brand new one. I just had it configured for you. Yeah, which doesn't really make sense anyway, since you have to have an account. You'll have to have the password on there and all right. that stuff anyway. So yeah, might as well just set up something separate or like you said, you do it yourself. I heard something drop. No, I just smacked my Apple Watch into the desk. That's bad. I hope you didn't okay. scratch the it. Apple Watch is doing okay. It looks okay. I think it's fine. I actually dropped my phone yesterday accidentally. How badly? It, it fell a couple of feet. Yep. On the face or on the back? It landed face down, but it survived. There was no crack. And that kind of goes to the fact that you have to have a case where the screen isn't flush with the case. Right. You want a little bumper to it on the the front to make sure that the glass doesn't touch the pavement or the floor, wherever it's... Yeah, if it felt... I mean, that's the thing. If it falls at an angle and it makes contact with the glass, there's nothing you can do with it. But if it's a normal straight drop, which it was, then... 
that bumper should give you the protection, and it did. And it at least tells me that this Spigen case does its job because it does have enough protection on it. Now, after it fell, did you take the case out to make sure that the phone itself didn't get damaged at all? I did not, so I'm going to do that right now. Because I've actually seen a case where it drops and everything looks fine, and then you take off the case and suddenly you see the back section cracked or something. Yeah, like that. I, it's happened I'm, once. I'm taking before. it out right now. And I'm inspecting it. There's a lot of dust. That's the other thing is the dust that goes inside the case. Yep. Yeah, I am inspecting like the face. I'm inspecting the case and I'm inspecting the side. And everything looks like it's intact. The camera lenses look good. Not a scratch on it. It looks cool. in perfect condition. You know, it's funny. I clean out my phone probably every couple of weeks or so. I take out the case. Yeah. Clean out the case. And, you know, the dust gets in there. Mm -hmm. And because you have the case on all the time... You forget how the phone feels like naturally. Right. Just without the case, without anything on there. And I'm always like, this feels different. And then you put the case back on, and you're like, all right, you know, same thing. But it's just funny. Every time that gets me, it's like, oh, yeah, I wonder if I can use this without the case. And then I remember the facts of, well, now if I drop it, yeah. it's going to break. Well, it's not just that. It's still a little slick without a case. Yeah, it is. And it is. when I see people on the train holding it without a case, I always wonder because when I hold it, even if you go to an Apple store and you hold the ones that are like cable tied and whatever, yeah, it's yeah. like it feels fragile. It, exactly, it feels fragile, but it's slick. Even if you have like a matte finish, it feels like it's slippery in your hands. Absolutely. Versus having some sort of even like a thin case on it, it just feels like the grip is better because it's it's a different finish. I just like having a case on because I'm not worried about the aesthetic side of let me show off the metal edges, let me show off the Apple right. logo. I'm not worried about that. I want it to be usable so that I can hold it under any condition, whether I'm on the train or outside using the maps or I'm at home, that it's easy to hold and it's not going to fly out of my hand and hit the pavement or someone's going to go by. And that's the other thing. You want to pay attention when you are looking at your phone that someone's not going to be on a bicycle or something and swinging by and stealing your phone. Knock it out of your hand. Yeah. So you have to pay attention to that as well. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, I, I do forget what it's like. That's the whole thing to it where when it's off and it does feel a little smaller, right? Versus when you add the case, it adds a little bulk to it. Yeah, it definitely hold it, adds like, a little oh, bit of bulk. that's what it should feel like. And you think about everything that they promote, you know, like they show, oh, the new borders, new edges mm -hmm. and all that. And then you think, oh, well, all of that's a waste because I'm just going to put it into a case anyway. Right. I mean, it's nice to be able to have that elegant design. But yeah. at the end of the day, you do have to protect it. But exactly. I do see a lot of people where they don't use a case yep. and they just use it as is. I mean, the one unfortunate part is because of COVID, I haven't been able to go out and test the cameras to the extent that I want to because Absolutely. there's just really not much of an environment in which I can do that. But eventually, I hope to be able to experiment a little bit more. I have been like fine tuning certain things with it, like sending you sometimes like little video clips that I'll see, okay, there are some quirks with the phone with this version that I want to tweak and adjust how it works so that it works out better. And so it just takes a little time getting used to it, even though I've had it for a couple of months now. It's just like constantly fine tuning it to make sure that it works well. But I, I will say that with the latest version of iOS, this version 14, I just updated to 14.3 yesterday. At least there haven't been crazy bugs like last year's version. Yeah, I've not seen anything major either. So since we jumped over real quick to talk about Apple, I wanted to talk about dongles and adapters because there used to be a time where it was annoying dealing with dongles and adapters, and now it looks like everything we deal with now is dongles and adapters because there's less built in now because we're talking about devices that are lighter weight using new form factors for Slip connectors. Profiles. Yeah, because years ago when I was looking at laptops, before I got my very first Toshiba laptop, I was looking at the IBM ThinkPad and the ThinkPad I was looking at was like a $3,000 ThinkPad and there was no way I was getting it because it was $3,000 and it was probably the size of what the X1 carbons are right now and it was lightweight but everything was modular if you needed a CD-ROM or at that time I don't even think DVD-ROMs had come out yet but if you needed a CD-ROM drive you had to get an external one that connected via a dongle if you needed an ethernet connection there was a dongle for it so everything was dongles and adapters and right. when I got my first laptop I didn't want dongles and adapters so I ended up getting this Toshiba satellite 330 CDT or CDS and it had a built-in CD-ROM drive it had all the connectors that you needed you know you had the VGA connector you had the printer port whatever you needed it was there so it was all in one and you didn't have to worry about attaching any special adapters to it but now you jump forward into 2020 and you look at all the devices that we have for example you look at your iPhone 
your iPhone doesn't have a 3.5 millimeter jack anymore. So if you have 3.5 millimeter earphones, you have to get an adapter, the Lightning to 3.5. In the camera right now, I'm showing you, this is the Lightning to 3.5 millimeter that they used to include with your iPhone. They don't include it anymore because you can get ear pods with the Lightning adapter or you can get AirPods. But this one, which I think is like nine or $10 that Apple sells for, feels really flimsy. And I'm surprised because I would think like Apple would have a higher grade version of it. Because I was telling you the other day, I have been ordering cables from this company called Ugreen and they sell them on Amazon. And this is their lightning to 3.5. It's slightly longer, but it has a braided cable. It's a braided nylon cable, which feels more durable. And so I ended up getting this USB-C to 3.5 as well because I needed one of these as well. So I got it from Ugreen. But it just made me think of how many dongles and adapters we have now. Because I also have like the Belkin Lightning to 2 Lightning. Because at one point in time before AirPods were out, if I was using like EarPods and I also needed to charge my phone because it was running out of batteries, I might have an external battery pack. So I need the Lightning Lightning so that I could charge it. Or if I'm on a phone call using my EarPods, I would have to be able to plug it in and also have my EarPods connected. So it's like... We're in a world now where we have so many adapters again, and it's kind of crazy to go through that process where it feels like we're making things lighter, but it's also, if you forget one of these adapters, and I know we've talked about this before, if you forget one of these adapters, then you're stuck not being able to do what you need to do. The other thing is looking at these power bricks that you get. Like, this is a 20-watt power brick from Apple. This is what you get with the new iPads, the iPad Air, the iPhone 11, I think, had the 20-watt brick as well. You don't get any bricks now with the current iPhones. But this is a 20-watt brick from Apple. You can see how big it is. This is the brand-new Anchor Nano 20-watt brick. The Anchor one is like the size of a 5-watt brick from Apple versus Apple's 20-watt. I mean, why do they make bricks so huge? We've said this with, like, Netgear routers, for example. Some Netgear routers, they have this huge power brick that does the conversion. And then, I don't know how big the one you have for Asus is, for your new router. But for, like, the Asus router that I have, that power brick is, like, the size of the 12 watts that came with the older iPads. It's, like, a small brick. Actually, it might even be smaller than that. So it's, like, why do we need such huge power bricks? Why do we need so many dongles and adapters now? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question, and I fall into that category myself where on my MacBook Pro, it's all USB ports, mm -hmm. uh, USB-C ports. So I don't have a lot of things that are native USB-C. So, you know, you have to buy now the adapter to convert it, but it doesn't have certain things too, like Ethernet. I needed that to configure my router. Right. So I had to buy one of those. And yeah, you just end up having to buy all these extra accessories but you have to also have to remember to carry them with you. Right? right. If you travel, it's no longer make sure you bring your power adapter because that's pretty important. But you can also buy that if you're on the road. But now if you have to start buying all the adapters that you need, that just gets very cumbersome. Right. But I think you just need a bag, an accessory bag, and just carry all that stuff with you to just make sure that when you travel and you need to be able to do what you do, you just have to bring that with you and just deal with it. In terms of the power bricks, I do not understand why they have varying sizes. And, you know, they had to create surge protectors just to accommodate that because one large power brick can essentially just take up multiple outlets. Yeah, and I'm surprised that there are so few surge protectors that, like, the standard ones where you have the six outlets are all right. still lined up right next to each other, and they don't account for that. Exactly. Every so often, you will find certain surge protectors that are a little bit more spaced out, or you get the ones where they spread it out on the two sides, but now your surge right. protector is huge. It's it's a huge one, right? Like I have an APC brand one and it's huge and that goes behind my entertainment center so I can plug all the different things together because a lot of what I have use these huge bricks and not just a standard cable. I guess what I don't get is why not just have the separate brick then? You know, that old laptop you have, have the brick, but the plug should just be your standard cable instead of being a brick itself. I understand maybe that's helped to save space and everything like that, but it's not great when you're just blocking outlets now yeah i always have that problem because i can't get everything plugged in where i need it to and it's annoying sometimes where you don't have enough outlets you get a surge protector in there and then you just have this one brick that takes up like two and a half spaces and there's no way to reposition it and so now you need a second surge protector because you have six outlets there but you don't re really have three usable ones whereas if i was able to use all six of them 
I could do it all in one surge protector. Right, and you're not supposed to chain surge protectors either, but you already have so many wall outlets to use. So that just introduces all the complexities, but that's also why for me, I just bought a larger surge protector yeah. that could accommodate more devices so that I would only have to use one instead of multiple ones. Yeah, I mean, I have that at work under my desk. I have this, I think it's like a 10 or 12 outlet surge protector, and it's the one that, it's that wide one where you have yep. on each side, you have like five or six outlets spaced out so that you can put like a larger brick in there because like right and it still has a center which is the primary six your normal six that you would get lined up in a row but that's for your regular cables and then on the top and bottom you have another additional ones which is like four or so but they're spread out and right some even have it so that it could turn because some of the the power adapters need to connect a certain way yeah and it just that causes a block anyway right but they do have the ones that rotate as well yeah so I, you, well, know, you kind of have to think about this when you buy, buy an entertainment center and plugging everything in. Mm -hmm. like, how is everything going to fit in, essentially? Yeah. Well, it's funny when we talk about adapters, they actually make an adapter for a plug because there's the one that's like three inches long that you can plug in, right. and then it has on the other end the three outlet plug that you can then plug your brick in right. so that you, have you don't have to, it. right, so that right. you don't have to block everything. But now you have a surge protector with a little cable yeah. there, a little adapter that you can use to extend the outlet so that right. you don't have everything blocked. It's like a squid or octopus, right? Where yeah. it's like that I think that's how they promote it, like a squid or something because it right. it stands out like that. So you can just plug everything yeah. in. But also you want to keep things neat. That really doesn't keep things neat. No. You just have everything going all over the place, unfortunately. Right. It's like dealing with good cable management, but there's like no way to get good cable management because a lot of times the cables just don't want to cooperate with you. Yep, absolutely. So like most good cable management is you just cable tie everything and wrap it around wherever you want it to go. But that's only good when you have an area in which you can do that cable management. If you don't have an area yeah. to do that, it's just not possible. I mean, years ago, I remember when I was doing an internship, we had a room like down in the basement of the building where we could set up computers because there were like 12 interns. And the interns were hired to help because the company was moving from one building to another at the end of the summer. So we had to prep, like, image all these computers. But they had 12 of these computers that they gave to the interns to use during the summer. And we had set up a, I think at that time, like, I think it was like Quake or one of those computer games was, like, big. And so we set up, like, a little mini network there, and we were, like, playing Quake during lunch breaks when we had time. So it was kind of like adding a little fun element to the internship. And it was literally, there weren't enough outlets there. So you had to do things like daisy chaining surge protectors and in order right. to get everything plugged in. And remember, there was like one group of computers that wouldn't go on. And we were like trying to figure out like, why won't these computers go on? Because someone had daisy chained a surge protector and plugged it into itself. So we're like going through the oh cables. Boy. And all of a sudden it's like, this goes to this, this goes to this. And wait, why is this cable plugged into itself? It's not getting any power because nothing's plugged into the wall. But everything was just daisy chain. It was like the most insane situation. And by the end of the summer, we had to like, we we're like giving up computers like one at a time because right. those computers were going to be computers that people were actually going to use. So, gotcha. I mean, years ago when we used to do gaming, for example, this was before you had like a router that was affordable because routers and switches would be things that you'd use at the office. So you wouldn't buy a switch for home. So if you wanted to do gaming, you would get a crossover cable. And you connect one crossover yep. cable from your laptop, the other side of the crossover cable to the other laptop, and you have two people gaming. I mean, nowadays, it's you do it over Wi-Fi or you do it over, over the Internet. But you, you see how far back you go to of where we used to be, where if you wanted to game, you could have two laptops or two computers with a crossover cable and two people gaming. And that's the way it was. If you needed to get online to the Internet, you'd have to get like one of those, and you didn't want to spend a lot of money on it, you get dial-up service, and you'd have to have a modem. A lot of the computers that you bought had the slower modems, the 33.6. And if you wanted to, you'd have to get one of the 56K modems, and then you hook it up to your phone line, and you get those adapters so that you could always keep your computer plugged into the phone line while also having your phone connected to the phone line so you wouldn't have to forget to plug your phone back in. And then you look for those free services like Net Zero and Juno where you do dial-up, and then you'd be able to check your email. So you go back to those days... A lot of people don't realize that's what you used to do when you wanted to get online. There wasn't surfing the web and easily finding data. You needed to find information. You'd have to find a textbook, go to the library, do that research, or talk to someone who might know the answer. Nowadays, you could find everything very easily and very conveniently online. Do you have anything else to add to this episode? 
No, I mean, it's funny when you just mentioned the crossover cable, and I remember how people used to confuse that with a regular network cable. Because yeah. you would just have one crossover cable, and then you, you might just dump it in the regular pile. Oh, yeah. Go to plug it in, it's like, why is this not working? And it's not like it was labeled crossover cable. No, right? it's not. It looks like a regular one, but you'd have to look at it to see how it's Yeah, how you'd it's have to see the actual crossover because... Right, so unless you labeled it yourself, you wouldn't know it's a crossover cable. Yeah, there are so very it is few. Pretty funny. There are very few cases where I've seen a crossover cable labeled crossover cable. Most of the time, right. what I will do when I'm dealing with cable management is I would hold the two cables up, and if the colors match, the sequence match, that's a regular right. cable. It's yep. a crossover when you see that there's the discrepancy where the cable switch position, and that's how you know it's a crossover cable, and you separate that out. But it's always the fact exactly. of when you need a regular cable, you find a crossover cable. When you need a crossover cable, you find the regular. You'll never yeah. find it. You'll never exactly. find it. You can never you, find you what you're looking for. You can't dump it in the same pile because you'll never find it. Right. So it just gets very annoying, but you just reminded me of that when you mentioned that. And the other thing is that, you know, going back on, you know, dongles and adapters, and you're talking about... You know, for the laptops, we need the 56K modem. That even used the dongle back then. So you yeah. know, dongles oh, and adapters yeah, true. have existed for a very, very long time. They were very annoying back then, but they still exist for a reason. And to this day, that's why they still exist. I even remember, I think my laptop, my satellite laptop, I remember now when you mentioned dongles. the PC it, card one. The PCMCIA card. That's the thing. Right. It, it didn't wasn't have built a, a built-in modem. Right. They eventually had the one where the adapter or the, the connector was built into the card itself, but that took up both your PC slots. Yeah. That's why I had the extra dongle. So you yeah. have to put the card in, plug the dongle in. So you have to do all that connectivity just to get onto the internet. And then, like you said, using Juno or Net Zero, then you have to dial into that. And then that's using the phone line and hope that someone doesn't pick up the phone, which would kill your connection. Right. And then if you had like DSL, you had to use those DSL filters. So in addition yes. to using the dual adapter, you'd have to put a DSL filter on it to make sure that your phone would still work properly. Do you remember we had that one DSL modem? Every time you touched it, it would lose connectivity. Yeah, it was a Verizon one. It was just horrible. I mean, it was so bad because for years we were told that you couldn't get cable because right. it wasn't available in your building. So the first high-speed internet that we had was DSL. And that was such a pain because when I had ordered it, and it was through Verizon, they said, yeah, we can provision it within a couple of weeks. And somehow what they ended up doing was the excuse they gave me once it was all settled was that they had put in the information twice. And somehow when they tested the distance from your home to the central office, the distance was double what was allowed. So as a result, you couldn't get service. It was some BS excuse for what it was. Yep. Because I had to file a complaint with the appropriate government agencies before they stepped up and went to try to fix the issue. So it took like over a month to get DSL installed. And then they sent me the DSL kits and they sent me two kits with two modems and two of everything. Then when we finally got DSL working, it was fine when we initially got it working. But then every single time you touch the modem or you move the modem or you touch the cable, the DSL service would cut out. So then eventually yep. I switched to the other modem that they sent and the same thing happened. And it made no sense. Like right. why? I think we went through three boxes before yeah, we finally like, just said, you know what? Let's just let's get cable. Right. Let's see what we could do and let's just get cable. Exactly. It just got so stupid with how DSL worked that it made no sense to do it anymore. And the speeds weren't that great anyway. I mean, yeah, even absolutely. with cable, cable used to have its issues as well because the cable line had to be replaced a number of times because if the coax gets cut or there's a slit in it or anything, the good thing at least is that they can cut that segment off and replace it. It's not like fiber with fiber. If it's cut, they have to replace the entire line. With coax, exactly. they can just replace a wedge. But then the other thing is they were saying, well, you don't have a tap on your building. The closest tap is the two adjacent buildings. They already have splitters all over the place. So your signal quality won't be great. And, I mean, they've improved it over the years, but it's still kind of choppy. Like, I've recently had problems again where right now I only have, I'm supposed to have four upload channels and 24 download channels. For the last month, I've only had two upload channels and 24 download channels. The other day, I had the modem rebooted because it was acting up, and I got all four channels back. But then when I tried to go to certain sites, like things weren't working. So I thought it was a DNS issue. Switched out the DNS servers. It worked for like a few hours, and it happened again. I've had to reboot the modem like two or three times before the router detects that the WAN is connected. And then finally, once I get it working, it's fine. But then if I boot 
the modem again, I have to boot it like three times again before the router picks up that internet connection. So it's been a little frustrating to get that to work. And, you know, because, you know, we've been recording and I have work and things like that, I can't mess around too much with the internet to try to figure out what's going on. Because if it goes down, then we can't do anything. And I mean, even the other day when we were recording the podcast, we had an issue with FaceTime again, where it was acting up. It was doing the same thing where we weren't able to get the connection. Fortunately, today, FaceTime worked fine. Otherwise, we'd have to go back to Teams again. Yep, exactly. But with the snow that has stopped now, I guess that signals that we may be done for today. Yeah, I think we are going to wrap up this episode. It's like every episode I have like this laundry list of items I want to cover. But like the last couple of episodes, we've been able to build on our topics that I haven't had to go to any of these these other topics that I want to cover. So it's good and bad. It's good in that we'll save these for our next episode. It's bad that we don't get to talk about it yet. But on that note, thank you for listening to the David and Ron Show podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone. Bye.